I don't think anyone is unscathed from trauma. I don't think anyone has just been living the perfect life. Maybe you lived in a bubble and maybe they spoo. I don't know. Maybe you've been fed gold, but someone in this world, everyone has had some type of trauma happen to them. It may not have been physical. It may have been emotional. It may have been spiritual. It may have been physical. And also physical things look different in many different ways, right? So collectively, we are all just navigating this thing called life, called this world. And we are actually more connected than what people think. Like there shouldn't be this hierarchical of, well, my trauma is worse than yours. So I don't know if I can really have this conversation. No, there's no one trauma that's better or worse than others. It's just, it may have affected you differently. That was Jiminika Eborn, and you're listening to Real Talk Radio with Nicole Antoinette, episode 203. Welcome to Real Talk Radio with Nicole Antoinette. That's me, the podcast that's filled with refreshingly honest conversations about the wonderful mess of being human. If you have been here in our corner of the internet, internet airwaves, I don't know, whatever we're calling this, you already know that this is a show that celebrates honesty, joy, compassion, personal growth, and the fight against injustice. I believe that Black Lives Matter every day and in every way. And as the host of the show, I will continue to prioritize celebrating and sharing the mic with people whose lived experiences are different from my own, which is a foundational pillar of what we do here at Real Talk Radio. As a 100% listener-funded show, we aren't influenced by any corporate sponsors or advertisers, and about 16 months ago, we met the funding goal within our community that's enabled me to pay every single one of our guests since then, which is wonderful, with higher rates having always been paid to our guests of color, as well as our queer and trans guests and others with traditionally marginalized identities. I know it's not the norm in the podcast industry to pay guests or even to have a listener-funded show. But I believe that where we spend our money is a real-time vote for the kind of world that we want to live in. And if I want to live in a world where people get paid for the work they do, that means it's up to me to create that model here at Real Talk Radio. So to the 400-plus people in our Patreon community who make it possible to disperse funds in this way, thank you. Thank you for helping me to fill the world with more honest conversations and to do it with integrity. This podcast is and will always be free to listen to, but if you love it, if these conversations make you laugh, think, and feel less alone, if you believe in our mission, I hope that you'll go to patreon.com slash Nicole Antoinette to make your pledge of $1 or more per episode. It's a wonderfully kind community, and we'd love to have you join us. Okay, now let's dive right into today's episode. Today, you'll get to meet Jiminika Eborn. Jiminika is a queer media consultant, comprehensive sex educator, and sexual assault and trauma expert. She's the host of Trauma Queen, a podcast miniseries for survivors of assault and their allies. The podcast focuses on uplifting voices in all communities and exploring our collective journey to healing. Jiminika is also the founder of Tending the Garden, a healing retreat for survivors focused on femmes of color. In this episode, Jiminika tells the story of how she began working as a sex educator and why the focus of her work has been on trauma. And quick content warning, there are mentions of physical and sexual violence in this conversation. We talk about a really wide range of things though, imposter syndrome, changing paths in your life and in your work, self-care versus self-soothing, and so much more. It was lovely to have this conversation with Jiminika. It was honest and introspective, and I hope that you enjoy it and learn from it as much as I did. 
So all of that starts in just a moment. And as always, you'll be able to find all the links and resources mentioned in this episode over in the show notes at realtalkradiopodcast.com. All right, Jimenica, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. So I have recently learned that you are a fellow Gemini. Oh, oh my God. I love my birthday. <laughs> I Yes, it's true. I'm a Gemini. Yes, I, I also am a Gemini. I like your enthusiasm for your birthday. Tell me, how do you most like to be celebrated? Um, it depends. Um, I normally like to take up the whole month. I like to take up my friend's time for the, the whole, every weekend is booked, but you know, this year it's a little bit different. Um, I like for people to do one of the hardest things for me. And that is words of affirmations. Interesting. Tell, what do you mean when it, do you say it's one of the hardest things for you? Um, like that's my love language, words of affirmations. That's my number one, but also it's hard for me sometimes to hear such good things about myself mm-hmm. because imposter syndrome is loud. <laughs> Imposter syndrome is loud. I words of <laughs> affirmation is my number one as well. I wonder. I wonder if that's a Gemini thing or if that's just a question. I'm like, tell me nice things about me. Thank you so much. Go. I know, right? Tell me nice things, but sometimes I can't receive them. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Absolutely. How is this year's celebration going to be different for you? I know we are in quite a weird time, and I, I'm thinking about this too because um, at the time of this recording, my birthday is in a couple of weeks. And I'm like, am, am I going to do anything? Am I going to celebrate? Such a yeah. such an odd period of time that we're in. Well, my birthday is—I know this is coming out later. My birthday is May 31st, so it's this upcoming Sunday. So I did an ask. I asked for people to send me postcards, send me letters if they wanted to, if they felt the urge to donate some money. I gave them like options to donate to a specific foundation. Um, and then I'm going to do an Instagram live like everyone else and their mother and hang out with people for an hour. And some of my friends have sent me birthday presents. I've been putting them in a cute little pile. So I'll open my presents, talk to people for about an hour and then lounge around and eat yummy foods. That sounds lovely. Will you share um, what the, the organization was? You said that you asked for people to donate if they could. I'd love to put it in the show notes. Yeah. So I have done different ones. So I did one specifically that was focused on, I'm going to pull it up so I don't get the name wrong, uh, for women of color sexual assault survivors. Mm-hmm. Um, and that also just strains from who I am and also one of my bigger projects that I've been working on and we'll probably get into it is why I took time off from doing podcasting is I've been working on a retreat for sexual assault survivors. And so I wanted to continue focusing on that. And so the organization is, I don't know where I can find it. Oh, here it is. The National Organization of Sisters of Color Ending Sexual Assault. Okay. I am definitely going to put that in the show notes. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I guess since we are here in this topic and you mentioned the retreat that you have been working on, will you mm-hmm. share some more information about that? Yeah. So it did not happen this year as it was supposed to because coronavirus is a bitch. Uh, <laughs> coronavirus ruining so, everything. Ew, she is a vicious, vicious thing. Um, so the retreat is focused for femmes of color, sexual assault survivors. And it's not because I don't believe that all people don't need support. And I like to say that because people are like, well, what about this? And I'm like, yes. And in the sense of I am a woman of color, I've worked in the mental health field for 13 plus years. And I have seen that these individuals do not get support. They are constantly overlooked. 
they are thrown out of facilities if they have reactions while other counterparts are held and comforted. So I wanted to create a very intentional space that was a healing space that was made for healing. Like I said, I've worked in facilities where people have left them worse than they came in. And that was not something I wanted to curate. So it was supposed to be five days in Costa Rica. Um, It was curated to be body movement. We're going to have three topics, which it's still happening. So I'm like, yeah. Um, So it's, we're going to have a mental health track. We're doing body forgiveness and we talk about sexuality. So I think those are big things that people overlook, especially for survivors. They're like, do you really want to have sex again? And most people are like, yes, I would like to. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Um, but also coming from a lens of people that are talking to you versus talking at you. So I'm super excited to still get to do it. When? I don't know. Um, so we definitely are restructuring. My team is super amazing and supporting all of my brain dumps of like how to create, how we've created this and what our next steps are going to be. But it's, it's my baby. It's called tending the garden. And I thought about titles for a very long time and tending the garden, because if you think about a garden, there's different aspects that go into it to help it grow and help it bloom. And my teachers are called hoes. I was, I was like, no, we're not doing this. And everyone was like, I love it. And then I was like, right. Hose are garden tools to help you build this garden. The teaching is like the water and you are in charge of what seeds you put out and how you, you take to grooming it and continuing to feed it. So that is why I thought tending the garden also is going to be in spring. Um, So it kind of just all came together and it's, it's truly a gift that people trust me to do the work that I do. Trust me to create a healing space. And I'm excited for whatever it does happen. So that's why I took a year off from podcasting to kind of just focus on creating this magical space. Mm. Yeah, there's something really lovely about gathering together in person. There's something really transformative. Of Mm -hmm. course, powerful things can happen virtually, can happen online, right? I know that. You know that. It's part of the work that we both do. And I, yeah, I started hosting retreats in January of 2019. And just, you know, with, when a small group of people gather together in person, there's something, there's something magical that happens there that I, I have found can't be replicated anywhere else. Nope. Not at all. Yeah, that must be disappointing to have had to temporarily, you know, put it on hold and not know when it's going to happen. But I, I think that what you are creating is is really important. And whenever whenever the time comes, right, and the plans will be there. (laughs) Yeah, it's it's there. It's going to happen. And maybe it wasn't supposed to happen then or that way. And that's kind of how I look at it. Instead of like being mad and upset, did that already? So it's like next steps. Let me see the positive in it. Maybe we are able to figure it out so it's more affordable for some people so we can get more people to get healing. Uh, Maybe the location isn't the best. Maybe we have to find somewhere else. So it's kind of flexible. And I love the flexibility of the continuing to support. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You mentioned of the sort of topics or tracks that are going to be covered. You said the phrase body forgiveness. Will you talk a little bit about Mm -hmm. what you mean by that? Yeah, I think body forgiveness is just something that most of us struggle with. Just body love, body awareness, just in general, society is like, you have to be this way. If you don't look like this, then you are awful and all these things. So for me, when I'm working with survivors or talking to survivors and or just teenagers, because I also work with teenagers, 
there's so much that's put upon us that we don't actually see ourselves sometimes. And so when I talk about body forgiveness, I talk about actually spending time with your body and looking at it and feeling it. And, and when I say feeling it internally and externally, and one of the activities I do when I'm talking about body forgiveness is doing a body scan. Like how often do we sit down and go, oh, this is what where I'm feeling tension. This is where I'm feeling stress. And then we're able to figure out what's going on with us. So in the body forgiveness that we will be doing, we're going to be looking at where we're holding our trauma and where we need to release our trauma and movement and looking in mirrors. Like I've struggled with looking in mirrors because they see everything, right? And sometimes we don't want to see that. So like what that looks like and how to do it in a way that feels good for you. Mm-hmm. So there's there's so many different ways that it's going to be looked at. And the person that's hosting my body forgiveness track, um, I'm not actually teaching at the retreat because I want to be able to hold space for everyone. And I'm doing a whole bunch of other things. So my body forgiveness track is actually done by someone that's been on your show, Evian Whitney. Oh, wonderful. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I'm really interested in kind of what you were saying about body forgiveness involving spending time with yourself. It's one of those things that it sounds like kind of, oh, duh, right? Or, you know, Mm -hmm. oh, of course. And also that, you know, the experience of looking at yourself and being with yourself, not necessarily just like through a comparative lens, like me compared to this other person, right? Me compared to this, you know, standard of beauty or whatever. Um, there's, There's something that I haven't really heard it put that way before, what you just said about spending time with yourself. Yeah. And I think it, I don't think there's one right right way to do it. Right. Like I have friends that are like, you know, when I want to spend time with myself, I'll take a hot shower, get out and focus on my body as I'm rubbing oil on it and just spend some time, like getting to know my skin and getting to know my body parts. And like, also you're taking care of yourself. You're moisturizing. You are doing something slower versus I think society-wise, we're constantly moving and there's so much noise and pollution and we're just go, go, go. But like actually sitting down and being like, oh, my hands hurt. Like what's going on there? Like figuring out like what a nice wrist massage feels like. Mm-hmm. Like that's something like we don't think about, right? Like we use our hands for everything. But when do you sit down and like just moisturize them and just rub them a little bit? I mean, pretty much never, if I'm honest, you know, I think I, I said, yeah. I said to a friend earlier today that, you know, we were kind of doing that. How are you feeling this week? Check in. Right. And, you know, my response was, I feel like I'm having a hard time being in my body or being present. Like I feel like almost everything is existing from the neck up and, or I'm like floating above myself right lately. Mm-hmm. And so even that, right. Like, a, a hand massage, a wrist massage, like these these sort of small things. I, I appreciate. I mean, I know we're only a couple minutes in, into this conversation, but I appreciate the sort of the reminder that they can be really small things that drop yes. us back into ourselves, or that can be comforting, or that can be that sort of daily healing. Like I think, you know, even the word healing can sometimes seem like it's this huge thing, and it is, and it isn't sort of, there's something in, in, in what you're sharing, just even those couple of really specific examples that it's like, oh, right, it can be the small things. Yeah. I think, I think there's so much in just knowing that and also knowing that self-care and self-soothing are two different things. Mm. And people are like, what now? That's a-. I'm like, yeah, self-soothing we do to distract, which is great. I watch 
Okay, fun fact. I'm a professional wrestling fan. I'm super into it. So that is my self-soothing. It distracts me. I don't have to worry about anything else. I can just watch them fighting and wrestling and putting on a show. But my self-care may look like remembering to drink water throughout the day because that's like actually helping my body throughout the day. Sitting down and actually moisturizing and rubbing my hands because I have tendonitis in both my hands, that's self-care. I'm just going to take a minute with that. That's, that is very impactful self-care versus self-soothing. And yeah, that they, they, they're not the same and yet they're both necessary. They're both necessary. And I think people are like, well, you're not doing this. And I'm like, you don't know what people need. That's one thing. I'm so tired of people trying to dictate what other individuals need without ever asking them. And then another thing is they both exist for a reason and they can both happen in the same hour and it's okay. It may happen in the same day and that's okay. Maybe you need to do one. Like, you know, we're in an active trauma space right now. And this is what I'm constantly reminding people that coronavirus is actively activating everything in our bodies because we don't know the what if. We don't know what's happening tomorrow. We don't know what's going on in our bodies. Do we have it? Do we not? Have we been exposed? We don't know, which allows for so much tension and builds up to be in our bodies and we're watching television and then there's social media. So we're constantly being hit with these trauma things, right? So we need to self-soothe to kind of distract from that sometimes, right? And while you're self-soothing, you can also self-care. Like I will watch wrestling and then get some CBD cream that I use and rub my hands at the same time. So they both exist for so many reasons and we do need both. I think so anyway. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I also think that this in and of itself is just such an important reminder that they both exist and that we need both and that they can sort of overlap and interact, but that they are different because I think that a lot of the things that fall into the self-soothing categories, there's a lot of shaming and like policing other people's behavior around. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I totally agree. I think people have so many opinions and that is so great, but we don't need to hear all of them. <laughs> you could keep some to yourself. Fun fact. You can keep some to yourself. You can write them down put them, you know, in a journal, (laughs) like everyone does not need to hear what you think of them because that's your own opinion. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Keep it to yourself. Yeah. Get it, get a notebook, right. And title it (laughs) my opinions about other people that are none of their business and just write all your, (laughs) I like that idea. (laughs) Oh my God. Um, so you mentioned a little bit about the retreat and, you know, having worked in the mental health space for 13 years and I'm always interested in the often winding path that people take into whatever their current work is. And I would love for you to mm-hmm. share that story and I guess wherever you think that story starts and what it is that you want to share about how you got into doing the work that you're doing now. Yeah, it's been a definitely a journey. Okay. And I always like to preface this with, I'm going to say some hard things. So uh, trigger warning, uh, murder, death, sexual assault, failure you know, like, um, so I often say and identify as a child of trauma. My mother was killed when I was one by my possible sperm donor, right? Like, we don't know. He might be my father, whatever. That's just a word. Um, and they actually found me with her body. So I was, I'm like, that seems like a trauma, huge situation that was impactful and started my life journey and changed my entire world. I was raised by my grandparents, her parents that allowed me to 
navigate and figure out what I wanted to do, what I didn't want to do and who I was, which was amazing for me. Um, being a Gemini, we like to do a lot of things, you know, we're busy people. And from there, because of my mother's death, my mother's murder, let's call it what it is, her murder, it prompted me to want to help other domestic violence situations and other women. And also, like most of us, I watched a lot, a lot of Law & Order SVU. And I was like, I can do that. This is exactly what I want to do. And then I realized their burnout rate was real, real high. Mm-hmm. So I went to school for criminal justice. And while I was in school, my second, third year, my third year, I was raped. And that changed my path of life. It just changes everything for people. Um, And everyone's path is different. So I turned to alcohol as a numbing thing. I got kicked out of school, which was the best thing for me. I was depressed. I had a lot of quote unquote friends that were actually gaslighting me and adding to my trauma. And it just was bad. Got kicked out of school, went back to school, went back to a Christian college, best school I ever went to, most expensive, Um, went back to school for psychology. And that's where I started my journey of working in different mental health facilities. The first one I went to was a juvenile sex offender space. It was a group home. It had 11 houses, six boys, each house, and we were never empty for two years. Wow. Think about that. Yeah. I was like, what's happening? It was wild. We had a waiting list. And these are things and conversations that I find like most society doesn't talk about and or doesn't look at. And so for me, I was like, oh, this is wild. Like there's so much more. So I was able to, in my journey, work with survivors and those that were offenders that a lot of times they were also survivors. And then I worked with teenagers. I worked in eating disorders. I worked with adult women. I worked with people online. And what kept coming up was trauma with sex and struggle. So me being me, I was like, okay, I'm tired. I'm going to do this. I need a break. And I was like, what is a job that is ever evolving? And it's going to be entertaining. It's going to be fun for me. And I was like, sex, this is great. Um, my grandmother, who I call my mom, she was like, oh, hell, what does that even mean? And I didn't know. I didn't know what this journey was going to look like. Um, and I did a lot of research. I went to a lot of conferences. And I went to like training things. And what I saw was everyone was talking about the fun stuff, the lubes, the toys, the kinks and all the things and the parties. And I was like, this is dope. This is amazing. But what about the people that aren't able to get there yet? Mm -hmm. Like they want to, but they have some things they haven't worked out yet. And I was like, oh my God, I can combine my love of supporting people in this specific type of way with sex. So I'm still learning, which is something I love to do. I've been in school forever. And then I'm able to show up in a way that a lot of people don't. One of the things that I've liked to focus on in my work is talking to people instead of talking at them. I find that in a lot of things that I've seen, a lot of classes I've attended, people talk to you in a way, or they're talking at you in a way that it's, here's what I'm saying here. That's all I got. Like there's no leeway. There's no wiggle room. But when you talk to people, you see them and you're, you should be able to adapt to what they're going through because it's knowing that everyone is different. We may have had similar things happen to us, but everyone, the, 
journey is different. The way it shows up for people is different. Mm -hmm. And it's been a privilege. It's been a gift. Um, I'm very thankful that people trust me and listen to me because I, the way I'm talking to you right now is how I talk to people. I don't sugarcoat it. I'm not like, oh my God, that's so sad. Oh, this happened. I'm like, that was shitty. Mm-hmm. That sounds fucking horrible. Like, what do you need right now? Do you want to talk about it? Do you want to throw things? Like what? You want to be angry? Let's be angry together. Like, and sometimes that's what people need. And so I've learned that over time. And I just finished my master's degree. I went to school to be a therapist and I thought that was the way I had to do it. And I was like, I don't like this. So I didn't finish. And I went back to school for health psychology because there's such an interesting journey in brains and bodies. And oftentimes people separate them. So we have the medical field, we have psychology, but why do they have to be separate when oftentimes they impact each other? And so that's what I've been working on. And now I'm looking at alternative medicine because I think there's so much information out there. If I, I And this is how I've been explaining it to my friends and like my family. I'm like, our ancestors did not have all of these pills. They did not have all of this medication. They used what was on this earth. They used like things that they tried and what was passed down. And why did we stop using those things? Because big pharma wasn't, can't make money off of it. Mm-hmm. And so I've been doing that research and also looking at hallucinogens and THC and CBD, which were outlawed in the sixties, but were used for supporting mental health, but they were outlawed because they couldn't make money off of them. So I'm just, I'm just spinning in gratefulness. So that's where I've been. And this is where I am (laughs) figuring it all out and combining my loves of medicine. And I use the word medicine loosely because I think medicine can be so many different things. So combining my love of medicine and supporting individuals and showing up authentically to allow others to show up authentically to connect with themselves. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. There's, there's so much in what you just shared <laughs> that we could, that we could dig into. I, I appreciate isn't it, isn't it always interesting to essentially try to like boil down 20 plus years into like, <laughs> a couple of minutes? <laughs> yeah. It's fun. I love it. It's like, how you, do I say it this time? Right. Right. Exactly. Yeah. You mentioned that getting kicked out of school was the best thing that happened to you. Will you say more about that? Yes. Depression is real. <laughs> Yes. Depression is real. Here here to agree with that. Yes. (laughs) Depression is so real and it shows up in so many different ways. Um, I wasn't doing well. I was surrounded by people that weren't helping me. And they also didn't know that I had been raped and I didn't share that with people, but it's because I didn't feel like I was in a safe space. I think I was around a lot of people that we were young and dumb and didn't know our left from our rights in some aspects And I just wasn't able to be present. I started having anxiety attacks to the point where I was passing out. And it was because I just wasn't comfortable in my surroundings. I wasn't comfortable in my body. I had had trauma happen to me and I hadn't addressed it. And so I was numbing with alcohol. And so every night I was out partying and I looked fun, but I was internally miserable as hell. I was so miserable. I was so sad I was would lock myself in my room and blast Lauren Hill's unplugged album. And that's how people knew I was not having a good day. <laughs> and getting kicked out of school, it felt like an exhale. Like it felt like a release to continue moving on. 
Like I needed to close that chapter of my life and start what I actually needed to be doing for myself and finding how I could give back to the world. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, and sometimes the truth is that for whatever reason, like we aren't getting ourselves out of that situation. And it does have to be that the external circumstances change or that we get forced to make a change. Yeah, totally. Totally. And sometimes we have to get kicked out of the bird's nest to really do and be who we need to be. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. You mentioned that when you first started getting interested in like sex as a potential career path, you said, I don't remember exactly the wording you used, but you said something about how you really didn't know what that was going to mean, right? Or what that was going to look mm-hmm. like. And I, I think that that's interesting too, because I think it's really, it's really easy to fall into the misbelief that you have to have a perfect plan or that you have to have it figured out in order to take whatever the next step is. So I'm interested in just getting a little bit more like nitty gritty of, okay, this was something that interested you, then what? Because I think it's really encouraging for people listening and for me too, to have that reminder of, oh, actually you don't have to have it all figured out in order to make a pivot or to make a change. Yeah. I think there's so much that people miss in like trying to be perfect right? That's so much extra pressure on us. When, when we really sit back, no one's perfect. People mess up all the time. People change careers often. And a lot of the times that we get into things, it's not necessarily because we want to. It's because other people have told us like, I think you'd be good at this, or you should do this. And you're like, oh, okay, well, I'll try it out. And then you're like, I hate this. But you are like, well, I've been in it so long. I'm, do, I'm doing well, but I'm miserable. I think oftentimes people get into the space of, well, I'm making money and I'm doing the things I'm able to provide for myself and whomever else, if there's other people or animals, you know, and we, we don't get to do things that make us happy. So I think for me, there was a point of, I want to be happy. Like, why can't I do the things I want to do, not knowing necessarily what that means yet, but like knowing at least that I want to be happy and enjoy it. I think that's a start. And I also think that's a difference in generations of individuals because talking to my grandparents who are in their seventies are like, ah, no, people do jobs all the time that they don't love. And I was like, yeah, okay, but I don't have to. And they're like, no, you do. And I'm like, no, I don't. Mm -hmm. Like I am choosing, I'm actively choosing to be happy. And I think that's a part of figuring out your path, like actively choosing. I don't want to be miserable. I might not be the richest person. I might not have all the answers today, but no one woke up and had all the answers. If someone woke, came up to me and was like, I woke up and I know how to heal people. Just anyone that walks in the room, I'm like, no, I don't believe that mm-hmm. because we all have a journey. Um, and I think, knowing that you can do things right and do things wrong and learn from both, I think is something that individuals need to think about more and thinking about like my path and my journey of like, Hey, this looks cool. There's so much in sex that people maybe don't realize. I didn't realize until I started going to conferences and reading books and things. I was like, Oh, there's so many aspects and words I've never heard of. There's so many things that people do or and or are into that I'm like spinning some days to this day. I'm like, that's a thing. Huh? Okay. 
Well, let me read about it a little bit. Okay, cool. Yeah, not my jam, but cool. Thank you for teaching me. So I think giving ourselves the grace and the acceptance of, I know I want to do something here and I know I'm called to do this. Let me see what exists. And also when we're talking about like figuring that stuff out, knowing that you don't have to reinvent the wheel because people are always like, well, there's, there's this. And I'm like, cool. I didn't reinvent the wheel. Trauma has been going on way before either one of us have been around. Right. Right. So it's just a different way of talking about it. There's just a different way of seeing people. Sex has been around. I mean, we're here because of sex. So it's how people are navigating the thing. So when you're trying to go into a different field or a different area, see what you love and see what you feel is missing and see what you can bring to bridge that gap. That's really how I got here. I was like, here's the thing. People are doing these things, but people aren't having a conversation that looks like this. Like I'm not talking at people. Anytime I teach, if I'm at a college, if I'm in a classroom, if I'm speaking on some platform, I'm sitting down. I'm walking around because I find that I want to meet people where they are. And if that means people are sitting in chairs, I want to be on the same level on them with them because I want to talk to them. I want to meet them where they are versus standing over them. It's just a different feeling. Like if you think about being in schools our whole lives, even if you're, even if you're not in school, we all went to elementary school. Our teachers were at the front of the classroom talking at us. Maybe we felt like they never even saw us because they were the way that they were dictating the conversations. And I have found that for me, I don't hear well that way. I don't take in information that way because I feel like it's not about me. So being able to include individuals has been helpful and it allows other people to figure out their own stuff as well, like figuring out their own way to connect with it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You mentioned like almost jokingly earlier, you said, you know, I've been in school forever and uh, (laughs) I'm I'm curious. I mean, you obviously have chosen a really academic route. Will you talk about why that was the right fit for you? Yeah. Um, For me, I think having structured learning feels really good. And unfortunately, I also know that some people won't listen to me unless I have certain letters near my name. So for me, I chose this path. It's And mama knows it's an expensive path. It is expensive. So choose what you want to do wisely. But for me, it felt good. And I was able to do it the way I wanted to do it. Like going to be like, I want to be a therapist. And I got there and was like, nope. I did a year of it and was like, this doesn't feel good. It doesn't feel like I'm getting what I need to help individuals. And so being able to see that there was more, even in academics, I took a break and was like, let me go do conferences until I find the specific program that I felt I could figure out what I needed from it. So health psychology for me, everyone was like, wait, you're going back. And I was like, yes, because no one not no one, but like most people aren't having this conversation. And if it's already curated and people have already done some of the hard footwork and doing research and why not and whatnot, that happens to be behind a gate that some people can't get to. Let me get in there. Let me get in the gate. Let me find out the information so I can take it to people 
that may not be able to afford that way of receiving information and also being able to translate some of the book information to a way that people can understand it so that they can use it for themselves. Yeah, to almost act like a bridge between a lot of, you know, academic, like you said, language or gatekeeping and, you know, the people who need that information the most. Oh, definitely. I think, I mean, in every, and in, and still in every field, there's gatekeeping and education, there's gatekeeping and sex ed, there's gatekeeping. And any journey that we do, there's going to be people that have been known, have been seen and have power. So part of what I'm also hoping to do, and I think I am doing it, is kind of showing that, yes, I know book things, but also I have a lived experience. And I think that's also super beneficial. I have found that some of the most magical people have chosen to do their own research. And they're like, I'm academic. I maybe didn't sit in a classroom, but I've done the research to my best ability. And I think that's also very valid. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So when you were talking about the pivots, right? Some of the pivots that you made, whether it was like thinking it was going to be criminal justice and then it wasn't, I think it was going to be therapy and it wasn't. Do you, and this is kind of an abstract question, but do you feel like that type of pivoting comes naturally to you or, and sort of the root of the question is, I think a really common struggle that people have is the feeling of if things don't move in this linear progression that I thought they were going to move in, then I feel like a failure or I feel like, you know, this was time and money wasted. Or I think that there's, can be a lot of story and a lot of shame and a lot of hurt in like making changes, even though once you start to talk to people, most people have made pivots of some kind and growth is awesome. And I know I'm interested in sort of where that has, what has that has felt like for you and just like anything on that topic that feels like worth sharing. Yeah. Honestly, my answer is trauma and I will, I will break that down for you. I think most individuals that have had trauma around them and, or have been affected by trauma as traumas happened to them near them, whatever know how to be adaptable because we had to be like, it's part of survival. And I talk about this with my friends who maybe are in sex ed, maybe are marginalized, maybe all the above. And they're like, trauma prepared me for this. Like people are stressed out and freaked out. And it's like, yeah, this sucks. But also like, I know what's happening in my body and all these things. So being able to pivot, it's just adapting. Do I get sad? Do I get mad? Hell yes. Do I get frustrated? Hell yes. Do I feel like a failure? All the time. So it's not that those feelings aren't happening for me. It's that I don't run from them. Like I'm not like, oh, I'm feeling horrible. Let me distract. I'm like, I feel horrible. Why? Oftentimes I think people try to distract from the thing that's happening to them. And they're like, oh, well, I failed at this. Let me just go away. But like, maybe look at why you think you failed or what does failing look like for you? Did you try to overextend yourself? Did you thrive in some areas and maybe not others? I think, you know, also self-reflection is really helpful in this. And I will say, I did not figure this all out by myself. Right. Therapy is great. (laughs) I love my therapist and it has helped me to even navigate these things Also, I find that finding something to believe in and working, working internally has has been helpful. Like meditation forces me to slow down and breathe and actually figure out like what's going in, going on in 
my feelings, in my thoughts, in my body. And that I think is also helpful in the pivoting. Because I, like you said, I'm currently pivoting right now to something else. But it's not so far-fetched, right? Like my pivots make sense to me and the progression of what I want to give to the world and who I am. So necessarily the way that we pivot, it doesn't have to be a bad thing. It can just be like, oh, that was a thing. What my jam? But this part of it was, how can I take it into the next step? Like, what can I utilize that I loved to make something else that I love? And I think that's that's kind of where people falter. Yeah, I, I think a lot about the fact that you're the common denominator and everything that has happened to you. And so like the connections that you make between like seemingly different or unrelated, whether it's like fields or experiences like that they aren't necessarily that different, right? Or they do go together or you put them together in a unique way and that's creativity. And, you know, I think about this a lot, like with career stuff for me, um, Years and years ago, I, I was the director of a children's summer day camp for five years, which anyone who Ooh. like has only known me as kind of this version of me thinks is like really hilarious. I'm no interested <laughs> in having kids. Like I do, you know, it's just like a funny path. And sometimes I think, man, you know, I spent five years doing that. And then I look at the retreats and stuff that I'm hosting now. And of course, like the event is wildly different. The people who it serves mm-hmm. is wildly different, but there are principles that you learn, you know, running events that go from one thing to another thing. I'm better at what I do now because of things that I did in the past, whether they wound up being, you know, a forever good fit for me or not. And I think that everything that you're saying just kind of hits at that point that, you know, you can take it with you. It's not uh, that it's, it's not necessarily wasted. Right. And that it might come up again in, in interesting ways. And, you know, your point about, um, almost like getting curious with yourself, right? When, you know, something happens or something doesn't work out and instead of just always the distraction or kind of the hiding from it or, you know, whatever, like you said, self-reflection, I think a lot about the power of curiosity and just being able to, in as much as is possible for me, like neutral curiosity, like, oh, interesting, why, right? Like, can I have Mm -hmm. that with myself? And sometimes the answer is no, right? But (laughs) when I can, it has been quite helpful. Yeah, and it doesn't have to be all or nothing. Mm -hmm. I think taking that off the table, it kind of allows for like an exhale because you're like, oh, we don't have to just be in this little box. Like I'm allowed to do other things. Yeah, we're all allowed to do other things. Society puts us in these cute little boxes that most of us don't fit in. But we're like, well, we're here now. I guess I'll just stay. But I think that goes back to my point in We don't have to. We don't have to be miserable. We don't have to do things that don't make us happy, like don't serve us. Yeah. Actually, I'm I'm curious about that. You know, you just mentioned it now, and then you mentioned earlier that, you know, in in making a career change and saying, hey, I want to be happy, right? And questioning whether that idea of it's just a job, it's you're not supposed to be happy, right? Like there's definitely some story in that. So for you, when you say like, I just want to be happy. And it sounds like that was potentially like an inflection point, a turning point for you. Can you talk about either then or maybe now, if it's an ongoing evolution, things that you have either started or stopped doing with the sort of end goal of, no, I just want to be happy. Yeah. Working for other people (laughs) (laughs) out of the gate. Um, I've made a lot of money for other people and it didn't necessarily make me happy. Working with the clients 
spending time with those individuals made me happy. Having to have conversations over and over again with people that had never done the job that I've done didn't make me happy. And so I was like, oh, no, don't like this part. And you're taking, so you're making how much money? And I'm getting $2 from this 100000 Okay, let's talk about this. This doesn't make sense. I'm doing all the work. So for me, it was like, um, no, this doesn't make sense. I'm doing everything where I could do that myself. And that makes me happy being able to talk to people the way I want to talk to people, the way I feel like they should be talked to, not like buy up certain book. Um, therapy, going to therapy school did not make me happy because I was reading the things and I was like, that makes sense. That makes sense. Oh, you are not talking about women. You're not talking about people of color. You're not talking about disabled people. Like you're just put them in this little clump of like, oh, well, these people struggle. Okay, bye. Let's get back to white men and how it's all curated. I'm like, nah, I don't, that, that doesn't speak to me. <laughs> let's not get back to white men. Yeah. Let's, let's yeah. not. They are, they're so loud all the time. <laughs> like let's, let's focus on something else. Right. Um, other things that I was like, this is going to be great. And it's not, um, just diving into sex ed wasn't necessarily great for me. Um, and people are like, what? It's not, no, it's not because I was overwhelmed. I'm an introvert. People get real confused because I'm fun on social media. I'm good at events. I'm a great speaker, but also I need to hang out in alone spaces to recharge. So having tons of information thrown at me and tons of people that are like, oh, you're new. I want to know all about you. And I'm like, no, I just want to go to my room and eat yogurt in my underwear. I don't want to do this. So that wasn't necessarily my favorite part, but I found in that what I did love. I love to find people that I found interesting to get to know. I love for people to come hang out with me and they also hung out in their underwear and we had conversations eating snacks, right? And that is what I found to work for me. So I think to get back to it, I think navigating the things that I didn't love, I still was able to find things that I did like and was able to add it to grow things that I did love, if that makes sense. Yeah, it definitely makes sense. Well, it's like you said earlier that things don't have to be all or nothing, right? It's nope. it's really easy to be quick to write off an entire whole thing when it's actually there's parts of it that are a great fit or parts of it that you really do love and being able to say, oh, okay, not this, but this part, yeah. And I can mm-hmm. kind of move closer to that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's not about reinventing the wheel. And the wheel is also like you. Like you don't have to reinvent everything you've ever learned and be like, well, this part didn't work. I have to throw it all out. No, you don't. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You mentioned before being a really great speaker. And I know even, I mean, even just browsing through your website of kind of different places that you've given talks and taught workshops. And I was hoping to ask you um, about one in particular, but maybe a couple of the workshops. And obviously I know that you can't condense a, <laughs> what is probably quite a long talk or workshop into something that's you know like short for a mm-hmm. podcast, but what you have taught and spoken about the, um, it's called How to Support a Survivor Transitioning from an Ally to an Accomplice. I was hoping mm-hmm. that you could give maybe like a little bit of a 101 on that. Yes. Um, so for me, there's two different conversations, like allyship and accomplishment. Or accomplish. Uh, it's a weird word to like try to put together. Um, but I think both are needed. It's kind of like when I think about self-care and self-soothing, I think they're both needed. 
and you may need to lean into one more than the other. So for me, allyship is showing up and being like, hey, I'm going to repost this. I'm going to share this. Cool, cool. I see you. I am here. But being an accomplice is where you really start to do the work, is where you are doing your own research. You are standing up for these types of individuals when they're not in the room, because I think that's where it's more important, not when someone can see you perform. Mm -hmm. Um, And that is what in the conversations I talk about, I talk about like what actually being a survivor may look like, right? Because oftentimes people are like, well, you weren't penetrated. So that's not sexual assault. False. That means it's just not rape. So like breaking down what sexual assault looks like, because it is such an umbrella term. And then talking about what triggers are. And it's not just a a cute word that people love to use. It's a real thing. Um, and it shows up in people's bodies in different ways. So we talk about what some of those things may be, like why your partner may be having a great time during sex and suddenly they freeze. It's not about you. Um, we also talk about language and conversations and how to show up for people um, and what work looks like in in showing up for individuals. So it's not, like I said, it's not just being on social media liking things right? It's having the conversation with individuals that may not know so that the survivors don't have to keep reiterating their story because I actually just made a post before I started this conversation with you about trauma porn, where people are constantly having their traumas incited on television, on social media and being shown it. And people are like, oh my God, this is so amazing. Let's keep sharing it, keep sharing it. But how is that helping the actual individuals that it's affecting? So this is where if you're like, oh, these rapes are so awful and Brock Turner and all this. Yeah, we know it. Like we know society fucking sucks. We know that people don't necessarily give that many fucks about women, especially if you're of color, right? So having those conversations and doing the work and showing up for people. So it even goes back to me creating a retreat specifically for women of color, femmes of color. I want to do other retreats. I'm going to do other retreats for other survivors that I also think that people hear better when they're being talked to and spoken to by someone that looks like them Mm -hmm. until they're ready to evolve. So being an ally to an accomplice, being an ally is great. And we need people to share information, but also be mindful, right? So I think about an ally is kind of like, oh, I've never said this, but I'm going to say it today. It's kind of like a little caterpillar before you get into your cocoon and you're transitioning to be a butterfly. And that is what being an accomplice is. You are now soaring. You are handling things. You are seeing things. You are bringing other people light. You're bringing other people happiness and like helping them in maybe ways that they didn't even know this information, or maybe they can't find the information because of whatever. So for me, that's what it is. It's instilling People that maybe haven't had these situations happen to them, maybe not know what that looks like, but being willing to show up and do the work to allow these people that they say that they care about and say that they love a break because it's happening all the time. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Something that I've heard you say that I think maybe, maybe it's related to this, but I think that it is something that I've heard you say is, is that you're exploring our collective journey to healing. Can you share Mm -hmm. what you mean by collective healing and maybe how that relates to everything that you just shared? 
Yeah. And okay. So I have a statement that I like to say is, I don't think anyone is unscathed from trauma. I don't think anyone has just been living the perfect life. Maybe you lived in a bubble and maybe they spoo. I don't know. Maybe you've been fed gold, but someone in this world, everyone has had some type of trauma happen to them. It may not have been physical. It may have been emotional. It may have been spiritual. It may have been physical. And also physical things look different in many different ways, right? So collectively, we are all just navigating this thing called life, called this world. And we are actually more connected than what people think. Like there shouldn't be this hierarchical of, well, my trauma is worse than yours. So I don't know if I can really have this conversation. No, there's no one trauma that's better or worse than others. It's just, it may have affected you differently, right? So collectively having these conversations of, hey, so this is what happened to me. And then maybe someone takes something out of that. Maybe they suppressed it. Maybe they didn't know that that was a thing that they could call a trauma. So that was also the way and the reason that we do my podcast, Trauma Queen, a specific way. Because I think there's so much healing in storytelling. And I I, I believe that you also believe that. I think I read that. Um, there's so much healing in storytelling and sharing your journey with other people, because then we get to opt in and be like, oh, oh, it wasn't just me. Oftentimes we're moving around this world thinking it's just us that are in these situations when who knows what the next person has gone through. When I was finally able to tell my my parents and sat them down and told them I was raped, my grandmother, my mother, was then felt comfortable enough to share a story where she was almost raped. And the only reason she wasn't is because someone pulled the person off of her. My dad was sitting there like, what in the fuck is going on? There's so much happening right now. But collectively sharing yourself and sharing your journey, it may allow someone else to also do that and start their healing process. Yeah. I mean, I, I couldn't agree more. Yeah. The the power of storytelling and honest conversations, right? That's the, that's like the through line of all of my work. So yes, yes, yes mm-hmm. to that. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, and and, and I, I think too it's it is that helpful reminder of that all, you know, that all the stories deserve to be heard and that you never know, you know, who you're going to make feel less alone and we've all had that moment where you hear someone whether it's, you know, a, a friend or a loved one or even a stranger on the internet or listening to a podcast this is one of the reasons that I think that podcasts have become so popular. Yeah. There's just, you know, you're listening to someone say something that's true for you. And I, th- I think about it like we know what truth feels like in our bodies, right? Mm. That like sometimes it's it's that feeling when I'm reading a book and I'm like, oh my God, I need a highlighter right now <laughs> because I have to underline this yes. sentence, right? We're almost like that goosebumpy feeling of like, oh, you know, it's not me or yes, like this exact thing or I feel so seen. And it, it can be sort of intangible. And yet I feel like it's so powerful. I totally agree. I totally agree. Mm-hmm. And it's, Sometimes we need to see someone else in that situation to be able to get past it or to be able to work through it. Um, And so for me, I'm like, collectively, like collectively, we are all in a rough situation right now. Some people may be taking it more serious than other people. And that's a thing, right? But collectively, we are all in this situation. And so sharing your story, sharing your journeys, sharing how you're just trying to navigate it. Like sometimes I'm like, hey, I'm having a rough day. Life isn't perfect. Here's me sitting here with some puppies. And people are like, oh my God, thank you for saying 
that shit's rough for you. And I'm like, yeah, I'm human. And they're like, great. Cause some people don't do that. And they make things look like everything's beautiful and roses and covered in gold, which we know isn't true for most people. Yeah. And yet, you know, that's uh, like you said at the very beginning, the power of like imposter syndrome or there's like so much goes into mm-hmm. Am I allowed to share this story? Am I, you know, what's going to happen if I say that I'm not perfect all the time? It's like, well, yeah. you're going to be just like everybody else. And that's, that's <laughs> the thing. It's so interesting that we think we're so different than, than the next person. And we're really not. Yeah. Yeah. I think about that a lot about how, you know, uh, uh, what am I trying to say? That story of like, you know, being messy is for other people, you know, like, but I have to have it all figured out. Like it's, it, it's fine for this and you have such and such person to not have a plan or to just, but like, but for me, like, no, like I need to, I need to figure it out. It's like, no, you don't. Yeah. It's like remembering that you're allowed. And I think we have to, I think what another thing that we need to work on is collectively is giving yourself permission to not be perfect, giving yourself permission to fail. Once you do that, I promise you'll be like, oh, okay. Well, I feel okay then. I didn't know how this was going to turn out. Look at that. Giving yourself permission to just navigate yourself is so helpful because sometimes we need to do that. Also, if you need to have someone else do that for you, do it. (laughs) I have, my team gives me permission to like be stressed out. I need to have deadlines to thrive. I don't know what it is, but I need, like my team will just make up fake deadlines so I can get stuff done. Yeah, I'm the same (laughs) way. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't, I don't have a team, but I need to like, feel, like do that for myself. I almost like, you know, brainwash myself. Yes, thinking that the and that's okay. There, so. That's okay. Yeah. That just means you figured out yeah. how you operate. Yeah, definitely. I am interested in, because obviously your work is about helping other people, but obviously as you've shared your own story, your own traumas and talking about those things have been a part of that. Mm -hmm. I'm interested in not necessarily what the impact has been, because obviously we just talked about how healing it can be to not only share your story, but to be in community around your story, right? All of that. And I wonder if there's like a tipping point for that, or like, have you found like that there's anything that you're, you know, I feel this feels complete for me. Like, I don't want to talk about this anymore or this, you know, I've evolved past this. I'm always, Mm. and I think for me, like my point of reference with this, I am not a little over nine years sober and I initially talked about it a lot. And it's not that I'm not comfortable talking about it now. It just, it sort of feels like I'm like, I've moved on from it a little bit. I don't know. There's, I don't even know if this is making sense to you, but I, I always think it's interesting when like someone's personal story is really relevant to the work that they do, how that evolves over time. Yeah. Um, that's interesting. That is a good question. Look at you. I've never been asked that. So for me, I think there are certain aspects, right? Like, yes, people just think I only know about sexual trauma, but like trauma is kind of like all over. So I get excited when people aren't necessarily like, tell me about rape. And I'm like, okay, I guess again, here we go. It's the same talk I've had. So when people bring in other things that are connected, that that feels good. I don't necessarily find that just putting things in one little box is helpful for me. Like I find that when people are like, just talk about this one thing and don't distract, like don't go off that topic. For me, I'm like, I don't want to talk about it then. I don't know if that makes sense. I just kind of be like, oh, okay, well, this seems one-sided and there's so many sides of it. I don't have mm-hmm. like one specific thing. I think also because 
<laughs> this is funny. This, my therapist told me this when we first started working together a few years ago. She was like, I've never met someone that is continuously working on themselves and their trauma and everything that they do. And I was like, oh, I guess I kind of I kind of do. Like my relationships, I work on communication all the time. I do check-ins with friends. I do check-ins in partnerships. In the work that I do, I think that I learn just as much from individuals and learn different ways and language and ways to heal as I'm able to provide people different things. So for me, that feels good. And I don't necessarily know if I ever want that to not happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 That makes sense. That makes sense. It's interesting. Almost like what I'm taking from what you're saying too, is it's like the community aspect of it too, right? Like you said, like being in conversation with people about it, like learning from them about it, as opposed to the, like, I'm just going to tell this one dimensional story over and over again, you know, that can get really quite exhausting. Yeah. And it's like, okay, I don't know how many new words. Let me pull out a thesaurus. It's the same thing. But when I'm able to talk about bringing in things that are happening in the world today, Like the conversation I'm going to have next week in classes I teach are not going to be the same conversations I had last year when I taught the same class. Right. Yeah. I mean, and I think that sort of one of the themes that's coming out in this conversation is the giving yourself permission to grow in different ways. Because even if, you know, let's say the, the topic is trauma, right. Which obviously is such a huge topic. Mm -hmm. Like you said, you know, the person that you were a year ago, five years ago, 10 years ago, you know, you, we can be, you know, teaching and living from the best of our ability and what we know and like how much we have healed at that point. But as we continue to grow and like give ourselves permission to bring in new things and new modalities and have learned from new people, like, of course that's going to evolve. Yeah. I think evolving is amazing. I think it's, it's such a gift. It's beautiful to see myself evolve. And sometimes you don't even realize it. And my advice for people that are like, "I I don't think I've changed. I don't think I've evolved. Ask people around you. Ask the people that you trust if they've seen a change in you. Because again, imposter syndrome is always going to tell you that you suck, that you're not doing it right, that you don't know anything, so you should probably shut up anyway. And mine is loud. I don't know about other people's, but mine is real loud. It's like, why are you talking? Shut up. Stop writing things. Don't put anything else out. And then I sit down and I look at all the stuff I've done and I'm like, wow, that's a thing. Or my friends love to like, again, words of affirmations, my number one love language and also the hardest thing because of my imposter syndrome. So maybe it's hard for you also, maybe take it in little chunks, but like having other people reflect on, on us in ways that we may not see because we're so head down and into it can also be helpful. Yeah, I Definitely hear you on the imposter syndrome. That is something I feel like for me, it sort of comes in waves that there's periods of time where it's, it is not flaring up as much. And then there's other periods where it's, you know, like you're saying, yeah, stop writing, stop speaking. None of this matters. Nothing you're doing matters. And it's, you know, just for anyone else who is in that place right now, it feels like fucking terrible actually. And, and it it feels really true, right? Like that, that, like the periods of time I'm, I'm, I think just starting to come out of a period of time like that, you know, in my life and with my work. And it's, it really is hard if you, even if you like intellectually and logically know, you know, this is my imposter syndrome voice, but even if you have the right language for it, that can help a little bit, but it, it really just feels really awful when you're in it. Oh, it feels like you're drowning and you can't get a floaty. You're like, someone help me. And you're just sinking and it's hard. 
And you're not alone in that because we all have our different variances of it. Maybe we don't have the language to even identify what imposter syndrome looks like for us. But yeah, it's real. It happens often for me. And then, and then, like you said, you come out of it. Like the other day I was doing something. I was like, oh my God, I know things. And, <laughs> and, and people around me are like, duh. And I'm like, no, 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 no. Like, yeah, yes, I know things, but I know things. <laughs> and they're like, okay. Yeah. Okay. Like for me, it's like remembering, yes, I've been in school. Yes. I do a lot of reading. Yes. I watch a lot of documentaries and I've been able to withhold information in a specific type of way that's beneficial. Like the way I regurgitate it is able for people to receive it. And sometimes I forget that. Like if you ask me a, co- a question, I'm like, I don't, oh yes, let me just word vomit. And then it's like, oh, look at that. Look what was in my body. I didn't know those words were there. Mm-hmm. Okay. So getting like maybe even a little bit more specific into the imposter syndrome stuff, you know, you, you named it perfectly and you said it feels like you're drowning. Are there a couple of specific things that for you are helpful? Like, oh, I'm drowning. I'm feeling this way. I know that something that, you know, can potentially be like the the floaty or the life raft out are, you know, this and this. Mm-hmm. Um, I allow myself a certain amount of time to sit with it. So for me, I'm like, I'm going to give it, I call it my fuck it days. Um, I think there's two, uh, there's two different fuck it days. There's the fuck it. I'm gonna do whatever I want. Cause this feels good. And then there's the fuck it. I hate everything and I'm drowning. So the drowning part, the fuck it, that's drowning is when I'm feeling like an imposter. And it's like, I'm going to sit down and sit in this and see what's going on. Why do I feel this way? Instead of avoiding it and just, again, everyone does it differently. I like to sit in my sadness. I like to sit in my frustrations and then kind of dig my way out of it. Um, having people to self-reflect with you uh, can be helpful. Going back and actually looking at things you've done. Sometimes I'll look at my own website. Also, this may be vain, but I will Google myself. Um, and I know everyone can't do that. I get it. <laughs> but going back and just looking at the things you've done and giving yourself permission to sit down and reflect on the good things and the accomplishment is also really helpful because we get so deep in all the things that maybe we forget what we've done. Half the things I've done, I'm like, oh, I forgot about that. Huh. Okay. Maybe. Oh, wow. I sound cool. So even doing that is helpful for me. Yeah. I I agree with that. I have a, like a label or folder in my Gmail called warm fuzzies where, you know, when I get a lovely email from a listener or from someone who's like been to a retreat or basically along the lines of this thing that you made or participated in mattered to me, right? Like something under that umbrella. And I tag it into that folder and I try to remind myself when I'm in that imposter syndrome place, like just go read a couple of them, right? And and try kind of like what we were talking about at the beginning about the words of affirmation, like try to receive it, right? Like this was true enough that this person took time out of their day to like look up my email address and send me this email, just even that reminder of, okay, this thing that I'm doing matters. And you know, that's I think gonna look different for different people depending upon where their imposter syndrome flares. But having something like that that's like tangible is helpful for me. It's super, it's super good. And it's like also navigating like ways that you receive information, I think is super important because everyone receives information differently. It's just like communication. The way I communicate may not look the same way that you communicate. And the way that you receive information may not be the same way that I receive information. So learning those skills for yourself is also really helpful in 
navigating anything, honestly, any type of relationship with yourself, with other people, with work, with family, because family's cute. So <laughs> family is cute. Yes. <laughs> so like, oh. <laughs> oh, you have some feels. I get it. I hear you. <laughs> um, so like even doing that can be helpful. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, this is sort of like a hard left turn, but I guess let's turn left, um, pivot point to, to a separate, uh, like topic thing I wanted to ask you about. Mm-hmm. Um, especially when you were saying that your therapist pointed out that you're like healing through all of the things that you do, right? Like through your work and through everything. I'm always interested in the like positive feedback loop of who we are as people and the things that we do in the world and how like the work that we do, it comes back. It's like the work that we do or whatever comes through us comes for us first, right? Like that sort of idea. And um, for you, when you got involved in like the sex ed space, or like you said, going to conferences, that type of stuff, and having spent years thinking about that. And, and, you know, you mentioned, oh, you know, I come across something. That's a thing. I didn't know that was a thing, right? The process of learning and unlearning and those aha moments. Is there something that you can share about how working in the like sex space has changed your personal life? Like how are you different for like having done this work? Oh yeah. I'm less judgmental for sure. Mm. I'm super less judgmental. Because one, you never know who's around you. You never, like, we don't necessarily know what everyone's kinks and fun things are, right? And you could be shaming someone and making them feel awful the way you're talking about it. Like, hey, acknowledge this may not be my jam and that's okay, but it may be for someone else. And also it allowed me to know that people heal in different ways and people find feel goods in things that I'm like, that seems like a lot. Okay. That makes you happy. And you like to be kicked in your vulva with boots. Huh? Okay. No judgment. That seems painful to me, but you like the pain because that translates in your brain waves to feel goods. Okay. So, <laughs> so it's kind of allowed me to take a step back and also look at myself of like the things that I have suppressed and maybe the things that I was like, no, that sounds a whore. No. And it allows me to actually navigate and connect with my body in different ways. Um, it's also taught me patience and how to listen to hear even better than I already knew how. Yeah. The non-judgment, I mean, the patience makes a lot of sense, but the, the non-judgmental thing, I, I think a lot about sort of that adage of, you know, we can't love someone else until we love ourselves or anything that kind of falls under that umbrella. And I I mean, I don't think that that's absolutely true at all. Like there's a Mm -hmm. lot that I'm able to access for other people that I'm not yet able to access for myself, but totally being able to, to do it then, Oh wait, maybe I could try this a little on me, right? Almost like the reverse has been true for me. And it makes a lot of sense, even like under the lens and like the context that we're talking about, about sex that, okay, if I can get to the point where, you know, this thing that I thought, you know, what does it mean if someone is into, you know, whatever, right? Fill in the blank. Mm-hmm. And if, if I had judgments around that, if I can get to the point where I'm not judgmental about that for someone else, maybe like you said, that's not for you, but maybe it is, right? And mm-hmm. to be able to like get to that less judgmental place with others, I see absolutely how that could be really powerful then like turned inward. Yeah, totally. Because then it allows you to, I don't know. I think it, I think it goes back to giving yourself permission to just be. 
Like it doesn't have to be perfect. You don't have to have all the information. Most of us, like I think about sex ed, right? Take it all the way back. The sex ed I had was awful. It didn't teach me a damn thing (laughs) except to not have sex, right? So it's kind of like I'm continuously learning those things as well. Like I did not know that some people like a boot in their butthole. And I said, well, that's the thing. Huh. Okay. Well, not for me. That just sounds painful, but also it's interesting. So it also has allowed me comfortability in asking more questions. So in not being like offensive, just being like, as you said before, like being curious, I think there's so much to be curious about. And it's also how I've approached it in not like a peekaboo looky-loo way, but just being like, Hey, I see that you really like this. Can I ask why? Is like, is that okay? And people mm-hmm. oftentimes are willing to share with you. It's also about how you approach them. If you're just like, hey, I see you did that nasty thing. Ew. Tell me about it. Right. They're not going to talk to you. Yeah. I, I mean, I also think so much about like what you just said has to do with asking a truly open-ended question, right? Like, will you tell me about that with, if your desire is to learn, right? And like fulfill the curiosity as opposed to, we all know what it's like when we ask one question, maybe it's sort of a leading question because we want to take it somewhere, right? Or like, we want to tell them why what they like isn't okay or right. Like, uh, like the, uh, an agenda of sorts mm-hmm. is really different from just Hey, tell me about that, right? Like, I'm just curious and having no idea, you know, or having no objective other than to learn. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. and I think that also goes back to like learning how to listen to listen versus listening to respond. And I say that often. Mm-hmm. People are like, what do you mean? I was like, well, you asked me a question. And even before I finished my last word, you already had a response. So were you even listening or did you just want to hear so we could have an argument or so you could tell me your point? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Mm, This is such a good conversation. (laughs) I'm like really enjoying talking to you so much. Um, You mentioned before that you are in, and I don't know if pivot is the right word, but, you know, getting into alternative medicine and some other things, but in, you know, going through some evolution and it's fine if the answer is no, but do you have an idea of where that is leading or, you know, when you look ahead a little bit, is there an intersection point between some of the work that you've been doing and some of the things that you are interested in and getting into that you like, is there a vision there? Yes. Ish. (laughs) I think what I want to be able to do is included in the classes that I talk about. Right. Um, I don't necessarily love doing one-on-one work and that's something I've had to learn. I don't necessarily love that. And that's when I realized I also didn't want to be a therapist, but I do like having group conversations. And like you keep saying community, I think there's so much healing around that. And with this, this new stuff that I'm learning, I want to be able to create content for individuals and create spaces where they're able to communicate with other people and heal and share stories. I'm working on some business stuff and being able to do like different types of breakouts where people feel normalized. I think there's just something about feeling like you are not the only one that you're not the weirdo um, and that people are struggling also, I think is really helpful. So with the medicine that I want to, you know, continue finding out more information for, I want to be able to help those who've had trauma 
I want to be able to connect maybe the individuals that did not know this even existed, right? That were like, oh, well, my doctor gave me all these pills and told me this was the only thing that worked. And I'm super anxious and they gave me this, but it makes me really sad. Like it's not helping. Like, so for me, I'm just trying to figure out the connections of it all for now to really be able to put all of my ideas together to, I hate saying it, but like vomited back up. Yeah, that sounds gross. But <laughs> to be able to put it together in a way that people can consume it for what their needs are. I know yeah. I just said a lot of words. <laughs> no, it makes sense. I, I mean, I also appreciate, even though this was like a, a small remark that you made about not wanting to do like one-on-one work as much, I think it also is really easy to get trapped into thinking, well, if I want to do X, right? Like if it's, you know, in the sex ed space or in whatever, like it has to look like this, right? We have like a really specific model. And I think almost hundred percent of the time, that's not the case, right? There's more than one way to get from point A to point B and, you know, how much bigger of an impact can we make? And, you know, to your point from before, how much personally happier can you be if you're willing to say, Hey, I want to do this work, but I want to do it in this other way. And if that's the way that you want to teach, there's going to be people who also want to learn in that way that maybe they also don't want to do one-on-one work. And I appreciate that reminder that, you know, it's worthwhile to take a step back and, you know, really evaluate if all aspects of it are necessary. You know, maybe you don't have to do it the way that you've been told you have to do it. Oh, totally. Totally. Cause everyone was like, you have to be a sex therapist. And I was like, do I? And then I found all these humans that are not sex therapists. And I was like, that is a lie. Thank you. I'm out of school. I don't want to do this. Um, (laughs) But, but like you said, like community. And I think that's something that keeps coming up in this conversation because it's so worth mentioning over and over and over again, that reminding people that they're not alone and that others are struggling in similar aspects. Like you do retreats, you know, that there's such healing in sharing space and energy And seeing someone that looks like you or doesn't look like you, that is navigating these things in their own way. And so for me, it's also like an affordability thing. Um, A lot of these things that I see cost a lot of money. And I'm like, yes, I would love to be rich, quote unquote, whatever that looks like. But most of all, my rich would just be like, how do I make retreat centers free (laughs) for people, right? And with that being said, it's, it's like, how do I do this, this work? If I'm able to create at a lower price range and reach more people to still reach my goal, because we still live in this society where we got to have bills and all these things that makes me feel better. Like that makes me feel like I'm doing better work versus sitting down and charging you five grand for two months of work versus if I'm able to have 5,000 people come and charge them a lower rate or break even and or make more and still reach more people. So that's like my goal is to be able to reach more people and talk to them versus talking at them in a way that they're able to relax enough to consume what I'm saying and the options of what I've learned. Yeah, I think I think that's a really beautiful vision. <laughs> Absolutely. I, I also think that's, you know, a good place to start to wrap up. But I did want to ask, is there anything that hasn't come up yet in this conversation that you would love to discuss or bring up? I think you've asked me such interesting questions that no one asks. <laughs> that, 
And I love doing podcasts and people are like asking me things that no one else asked. So no, I think you've done magical things and I'm so glad we did this. Oh, me too. Well, the way that we end these are with a series of rapid fire-ish, your answers certainly don't have to be, um, community questions. Basically, all of our guests um, in the month of June are answering the same seven questions if you are down to answer seven random questions. I would love to. Who are a few of your favorite people to follow on social media? Basically, who should we be following and learning from? Oh, wow. Okay. I wasn't prepared for that one. Uh, uh, Give me a second because I really want to be honest with you. I'm going to pull up my Instagram. Um, I think that varies in different ways. So I don't follow a lot of celebrities because I find like some of their stuff is a lot of fluff. Um, But I do like Matthew McGorry's. Um, I don't know if people know about him, but he used to be on like Orange is the New Black on how to get away with murder. He is a cis, I don't know if he's heterosexual white man, but the conversations that he has are very honest. Um, He's been talking about a lot of body stuff, which feels very interesting. Um, And I also love following people that don't necessarily look like me, like a a Megan Tonjes that identifies as fat and fancy like fat and fabulous and hearing how people talk to her and not again, not talking at her. Also Jasmine J also has those types of conversations that I, I love. Um, Lotus Lane, if I'm looking at sex workers and information that I did not know, also Jessica Drake, um, because I think there's so much information and people forget that sex workers are also teachers Mm-hmm. which I'm like, they are, they've been doing this for a long time and they've been doing the work. Um, Erica Hart for me does a lot of decolonization work, which is like breaking down, you know, what the real conversations we're not having and about race things. I don't necessarily talk about race all day. That's just not my jam. I have been in the last few, few days because this week has been real hard. And if I'm looking at like, companies, company-wise, that create educational content that I do love. Uh, B-Vibe, Lawand, all of them, I think they do such amazing conversations that folks are not necessarily having. And you mentioned sobriety. I have done sex ed sobriety stuff, and I think it's so amazing. I am not necessarily sober, but I do fluctuate on that and just navigating my body. But Tempest is an online community that I sign off on. I love them to death. I love Holly, their founder, the stuff that she's done and continues to do and how they create so many healing spaces for individuals. So those yeah, are just a few. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Holly was a guest on the show years ago oh, and actually see? she is coming back on the show in June. So <laughs> you and her, like she will be a guest in later this month. Oh, that's funny. Yeah. And I, I, I'm glad that I asked this question because other than Holly and Erica Hart, I don't follow any of those other people. So it's always nice to be able to find new folks to learn from. So yeah. Thanks. Okay. Next question. What's one thing that you've learned about yourself over the past year or so? <sighs> that I'm still continuously learning what my boundaries are. Mm. Yes. <laughs> yep. That is <laughs> so real and also knowing continuously what my worth is, right? Like you said, you'd mentioned this and I was like, yep, that people often say like, you have to love yourself before you can do all the things. That's a lie. (laughs) I 
know how to do so many other things to help other people and don't necessarily know how to always do those things for myself. So I've been, (laughs) I have a new partner and she and I talk about these things all the time. And I'm like, wow, this is, this is real. This is part of being a grown up. This is hard. It is hard. Yes. (laughs) What's something that's bringing you joy right now? Hmm. Um, what is bringing me joy? CBD, honestly. <laughs> CBD has been bringing me joy in the sense that it, it's been allowing me less body pain and it allows me exhaling times and relaxation. It also calms my brain. My brain is very active at all times. Um, so that's been great for me and stretching while participating, like using CBD. And it doesn't necessarily have to be like a consumption. Like I use it on my hands. Cause again, I have tendonitis in both my hands and stretching allows me to get back into my body. And like, it just feels good. So that makes me really happy. Yeah. I've been doing a lot of, I feel like <laughs> coronavirus, the one thing it has given me more time for apparently is stretching. I don't yes. know. I've been doing a lot of stretching. <laughs> uh, how do you define success for yourself right now? Ooh, wow. We're doing this. Uh, <laughs> we're doing this. <laughs> no pressure. Financial, like huge question. I, you know what? I don't know, but yes, no, I take that back. I do know the fact that multiple times a day, a week, a month, whatever, people reach out to me to thank me for giving them someone that looks like them or doesn't look like them and gives them hope and or gets them back into therapy and like acknowledging things that maybe they've, you know, suppressed that feels good for me. Yeah. Five years from now, well, five years ish, what's one thing that you would love to be true in your life? Mm, that I whew, have hosted most multiple in-person retreats for survivors that look different. Mm, hell yeah. Love that. The next question is about books, which two or three books, any genre, any type of book at all, would you say have either had the biggest impact on you or that you find yourself recommending or rereading most often? Whew. Uh, the body keeps the scores great. Um, for trauma, I think I, one of those books that I read and consider myself to revisit often because I think in my growth that as I'm evolving, I am able to grab new information. Um, and also something that I've actually started reading is, I'm picking it up right now, Pleasure Activism, The Politics yeah. of Feeling Good. Woo! That is a book <laughs> that I'm like, oh, this is going to be one that I come back to as I figure myself out, as I'm continuing to figure out my path. Yeah, I um I feel like I'm I need to reread that. There were definitely in the first read were some stuff where I'm like, I'm either not there yet or I don't get it, or yeah. I don't, like I feel like I need an in-depth book club for that book. So if that's totally. something you ever host, please let me know. Totally. I'm coming. <laughs> Ooh, that would be fun. I love it. Um and then the last question, if you could leave our community, the listeners, with one call to action, what would it be? Maybe a question to ask themselves or a small action to take? Yes. Um can I do both? Yes, of course. Okay. Um, something for yourself. A question. When was the last time you took a breath? 
like an intentional breath. Hmm. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> right now. Thanks for that. Yep. <laughs> because again, we are constantly being bombarded by things that we don't necessarily know is affecting us, but we're holding our breath waiting for the next thing to drop. So when's the last time you took a breath and something, a call of action to do, go research someone that doesn't look like you or like maybe doesn't sexually identify the same or is into something else because you're, you may learn something about yourself, but like to make it like smaller, be like, Hey, I am a white cis woman. Go look up some black cis women and see what their journeys look like and or how you overlap and like what you can learn and what you feel like maybe they can learn. Yeah, absolutely. I think that both the question and the call to action are really powerful. What is the best place for people to find you and say hi online? Do you have a particular favorite way to connect with new folks? Um, My Instagram, I'm, I try to not be on it, but I, let's be real. I'm on it all the time. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so it's everything, all my social media is under Jiminica. Um, you can send me messages. Sometimes I see them. Sometimes I don't. Um, if you have a real deep question, do not slide in my DMS cause that's not cool. Cause I don't know what I'm walking into. You can email me or go to my website and my website is traumaqueen.love. Maybe I have answered your question there. Um, Maybe you just want to send me an email. That's also super cool. You can find out more about things I've done, things I'm working on, sign up for my newsletter. Um, and if you want to talk about wrestling or see me get mad and rant, that's on Twitter. It's still under Jiminica. <laughs> oh, fabulous. I will put links to all of those things in the show notes. Jiminica, thank you so much. Thank you for having me. This was super fun. And that's our show for today. Thanks so much for listening and for being part of the Real Talk Radio family. This show is a labor of love by me, Nicole Antoinette, and my sound engineer, Adam Day, who has been with me since the very beginning of this show. Huge thanks to the 400 plus people in our Patreon community for making today's conversation possible. Your financial support ensures that every single person involved in making this show gets paid, and higher rates are always paid to our guests of color, as well as our queer and trans guests and others with traditionally marginalized identities. If you love the podcast, if you want to help keep it going, if you want lots of bonus content, plus other fun opportunities and extras, just go to patreon.com slash Nicole Antoinette to make your pledge of $1 or more per episode. Your support is what allows the show to continue, and it'll be a lot of fun to get to know you better once you've joined our community. So until next time, here's a big virtual hug and a reminder that we're all just doing the best we can. And no matter what, we're in this together.